Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Pod Jerky. I am your host, and once again, I am joined by my lovely wife, Amy. Welcome back. Hello, everybody. And today's episode, we are going to do part two of Tom and Amy's Netflix reviews. On our first episode, we talked about, I think, five different uh, Netflix documentaries that we had watched. And I believe those episodes included, remind me, refresh my memory. I was Um, just sitting here thinking, going, what were Um, they? (laughs) We did that a a few weeks back, but we had touched on five different... yeah, actually, yes, it was actually a few <laughs> few months back. We've been um, in lockdown for six months. There's no such thing as time anymore. Um, yeah, so we, we ended up doing five different uh, documentaries on our last episode. Uh, we covered uh, Time, the Khalif Browder story, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich, The Disappearance of Madeline McCann, Tiger King, and The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez. And on today's episode, we are going to be discussing Making a Murderer. Uh, We'll also be discussing Don't Fuck with Cats, Killer Inside the Mind of Aaron Hernandez, and Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy Tapes. So those are some interesting cases and interesting documentaries. Uh, Once again, we're not professionals on this. Uh, We're just going by what we had watched um, as episodes on uh, these documentaries and some of the other documentaries that we have seen regarding these um, cases. So uh, we're going to give it our best shot and we're going to go along with that. So the well, we're not really offering our expert opinion about what happened. We're offering our expert opinion on two thumbs up, two right. thumbs down. Right. It, it, it's more <laughs> as of a, far as whether or not you should watch it. it yeah, more. It's more of a review from us, uh, um, what we enjoyed and uh, what we learned from these uh, documentaries. So uh, I think we're going to start off with making a murderer. And if you haven't been living under a rock, you have probably seen this documentary. And about a long time I, ago yeah, it now. came out quite a long time ago, and there are two seasons to this uh, this uh, documentary, and it, it's pretty fucked up, if you ask me. It's uh, it's it's quite the story. Someone at work was the one who told me about it, and I remember her saying to me, "You'll catch yourself yelling at the TV as it goes through uh, each episode. You'll get more and more mad, and you'll start literally yelling at the TV." Turns out you were the one who was yelling at the TV, not me. But it it's probably, it was frustrating to watch as a viewer. It was entertaining to watch as a viewer. But at the same time, and I get that documentaries are one-sided. It's, it, yeah, you just get frustrated watching it just based on the fact that they had no, they basically made up stuff to, to convict him. For for those of you that can't see, my my wife gets very animated while she's talking, the hands and are the hands going. are going, and uh, my hands are just in my pocket, just sitting back, chilled out. And, oh come on! And, and my wife's getting very animated, but yes, uh, it is a very frustrating uh, documentary to watch because um, this this all started with uh, Stephen Avery, and he had spent twenty years in jail in Manitowoc County, and it was for a crime that he didn't commit. He actually got exonerated, I believe from this this case that they had against him beforehand and then i believe because all of the uh, lawsuits that he had against the county i believe this is why they were trying to frame him he was uh, i guess making millions of dollars on these lawsuits um, because he was being held in jail for 20 years and he they, they actually found out that he didn't commit this crime so uh in order to dna evidence yeah came out yeah so 
Um, it goes into um, he he was proven at, to be forty miles away from the actual crime scene, and and you would think that all of this evidence would have been in the original court case before he was proven guilty in this case. Um, DNA proved him to be not guilty. Uh, he I was think he 40... was convicted off a of eye like eyewitness yeah account yeah. And uh, I, I think that was just, I guess it was a payback to him for being able to have a lawsuit against the county itself. And they wanted to do something to set him up, to keep him quiet, to put him back in jail and to show everybody, hey, you know what? See, this guy is actually a criminal. And I, I think the the most frustrating part of it was you could just see nobody fights that hard to be proven innocent if they're guilty. I mean, that's just maybe my take on things. And maybe I guess if you're a master manipulator and, you know, things might be different, but he's he's never given up the fight and he's still fighting um, even today to try and to try and reverse the charges and the conviction. And that was the thing I think that stuck with me the most through the whole thing was no one guilty fights this hard to prove their innocence. Yeah. And what happened with this story, it continues on, is that he he owned a car salvage lot or a um, a car uh, lot. Like a junkyard. Yeah, like a junkyard. And um, while he was going through his uh uh, lawsuits against the county uh, investigators were searching his property and they were searching his property when he wasn't there and they ended up finding in quotations charred bones uh, they ended up uh, finding uh, different things and and Teresa Hallback was one of the photographers that was actually taking photos for uh, his advertising for his uh, his salvage yard company and they said that they, uh, she was the like she was last seen on his property. Um, by who I don't know. Uh, it was another eyewitness, I guess, that had seen her last on the property. Uh, they ended up finding her car conveniently on his property. They they go into a bunch of details of uh, everything that they found. They said that uh, DNA blood was found, uh, I guess, uh, on her car keys or in his car keys were in the bedroom. Uh, of uh, Stephen Avery and and none of this like had they didn't have any of the proof I guess uh, against Stephen Avery it just seemed that all of this evidence was planted and it just the story didn't make sense to us to some of you out there it may make sense um, so we're not we're, we're not uh, disputing whether we're right or they're right or you're right uh, we're disputing we're all we're saying is that this was our take on this documentary because it just didn't make sense to us the way that they could actually get him to be guilty in a court of law based on this stuff that just seemed to be planted and he was never there when the investigators were actually at his house. I think the saddest part of the entire documentary for me was the nephew. Brandon Dassey. They they had gotten Brandon Dassey uh involved in all of this as well because he, he had happened to be at the bonfire in the barrel where they claimed that she, they burned her um they claimed that the uncle and him were hanging out and um so therefore he was convicted as basically an accessory and when you watch the videotapes of the interrogation i mean they're basically feeding him what to say and i i don't they talk about, I think he has a learning disability. Um, 
he doesn't have a high IQ. Like he's, you know, he was never going to be a, a scholar or anything like that. But it, to me, it just seemed really clear that the police took advantage of his disability to get him to say things that would help support the investigation. And you can clearly see that he goes back and forth during the questioning where he doesn't agree with them. And then they just twist the question and they ask the question in a different way to get the response that they're looking for. And I mean, it feels, I don't even know if it's the right word, but it feels like coercion. But that's what investigators do sometimes, or um, I guess the, the police that are questioning you, uh, they try to wear you down. They try to uh, twist things in a way to make you say something that's going to make you guilty because they don't want to have cold case files sometimes, right? They want to have the case closed. They want to look good in doing so and say, hey, we caught the killer. There have been so many cases where people have been exonerated for things they haven't done. If you look at the... Um, America's Got Talent that just happened. There was yeah, the a innocence uh, files. You know, there was a guy on there that actually made it to the final round and he was in jail for 30 years because they went off of eyewitness testimony again and had no proof against it, but they they said he was guilty and he was exonerated after 30 years. So this happens quite often. And you know, season 2 gets into more of I guess the defense fighting uh, for well, he got his... a pro bono lawyer who is um, very well known for getting wrongful convictions reversed and getting people exonerated. And um, she took on his case and she walks through all the scenarios that the prosecutors and the defense um, would have presented at the trial at the original trial and basically tries to either prove or disprove them and. Again, it's a documentary, but she was pretty convincing about the fact that there's no evidence. And then even the evidence that they did find, she it felt as though she was able to prove that it was planted just based off of actions and the way that the police reported it. And well, they went into the her they went into his 1985 uh, evidence case and they actually had found a vial of blood that had a puncture wound in it the size right. of a needle um, the evidence had been tampered with and blood had been withdrawn from that evidence. Um, and they they feel that that was used to plant the DNA in inside her, of uh, car, Carbuck's right? car. So there was a lot of stuff that came out later on. But the, the court system, I believe he has uh, exhausted all of his appeals and doesn't have a chance of getting out anymore because... They just shut this down altogether because they just didn't want him out. And for some reason, we don't know why. I guess it would be all of the lawsuits that are against him uh, or against the county. Uh, they wanted to keep him behind bars and they wanted to keep him quiet. But I know on our end, uh, just watching this documentary, we just said, you know, like, I, I can't believe I can't believe that this is actually happening. And we understand now in in the world because we don't again we're in canada and we don't see this happen very often it's more uh, of other places around the world that this is happening and i'm sure it does or it's happen just in not canada. marketed right. the same way right um, in canada yeah so we don't we don't see that happen very often here so we we're starting to understand the process of people being wrongfully convicted 
uh, being blamed for certain things, being stereotyped into certain situations, and higher level officials getting away with certain things because they're able to. And just leaving these people to rot in jail when, you know, they, they shouldn't and they don't have an opportunity at life anymore. I mean, you see it here. There was a case just recently against the police and an off-duty officer that basically beat a guy so badly he lost one of his eyes and only one of the two were actually convicted and they weren't even convicted on the full set of charges. So, I mean, it definitely happens here. But again, I don't I don't know if sensationalized is the right word or... Uh, media coverage is just not at the same level, um, hence why I think there are so many documentaries about this kind of stuff on on Netflix, and and most of it is American cases, from what we're finding. Right. So I mean, that's just that's just Netflix. Netflix is going to stick with more. Of Although the we will cases. talk about a lovely Canadian. Oh, case. <laughs> that's coming up next. So uh, don't go anywhere just yet. But yeah, I mean, with Making a Murderer, uh, when we first started watching it, I was like, I don't know. It was uh, kind of like a slow start to it. But once you get into it, man. I think it, episode it, three. Yeah, it just uh, kind of opens your eyes onto some of the corruption that's going on and some of the things that happen uh, in the justice system. And it's just unbelievable. This documentary, I highly recommend seeing. If if you haven't seen it already, I'm sure 95% of you have already seen it. Unless you're new to internet yeah. and uh, streaming channels, uh, it's highly unlikely that you haven't watched this. But hey, we're always open to understanding somebody else's point of view if, if you don't agree with us. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just it, it was just a, a great documentary the way it was put together. Uh, I'm glad they had two seasons of it. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they'll have another season if so. if if uh, more comes to light and you know if there is a actual uh, exoneration in the case. So, uh, you know, we give it two thumbs up. We're we're suggesting that you go and watch that uh, documentary if you haven't done so already. That's just pretty much our take on it. Uh, we don't want to get too much into it and give too much away. I mean, we've given you the story, but... Uh, so does you, the internet. You, you know, the internet does as well, yes. <laughs> but do you, uh, you can go and check that out. And uh, we do highly recommend that one as well. We're going to take a quick break to show some love to another podcast. Hey, everyone. I am Nick. And I'm Russ. And if you're looking for a podcast about current events that's well-informed, highly educated, and safe to share with your whole family... That's not us. Nope, it's not. But here at the Nick and Russ Don't Know Anything podcast, we have an opinion about everything and don't mind sharing it. That we do. New episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. Check us out at nickandrust.com. And find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more, including YouTube. Thank you, and I love you all. Mwah! That was Nick and Russ from Nick and Russ Don't Know Anything. Make sure you tune in and hit that subscribe button. Now, we are going to get into our second Netflix documentary that we're going to review on this episode, as Amy had just mentioned, of a lovely Canadian, I guess, uh, killer. And this documentary was called Don't Fuck With Cats. And holy shit, holy shit. We, you know, we heard about this story in yeah. the newspaper and on the news and uh, the documentary goes into so Hell, much Hell, he was detail. on Interpol's most wanted list. right and and th this this goes into a lot of detail and again we know you know documentaries are one-sided and you know you're getting one point of view but there was a lot of evidence and a lot of things that just pointed you know you know what he was doing and they they knew it was him and then he admitted to doing all this stuff 
And and we started off with uh, his name was Luca Magnata, but that's not his actual real name. Uh, his Eric, his Eric Newman. Yeah, that his real name is Eric Newman, and he was a model um, actually uh, growing up. And uh, he, you know, he had failed attempts at that. Uh, he had abusive parents. And then we we get into, without not going into too much background, we get into um, videos that surfaced on YouTube. And this is why I guess the title is Don't Fuck With Cats. Yeah. Uh, is 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 very, very disturbing. If and, you're an animal lover, right. it is really tough to watch. You know, he has kittens on the bed and he's playing with these kittens and he you know, puts them into a vacuum bag and he vacuum seals them and they suffocate in the bag, you know. It was found, there was a group on the internet and they all went by code names. And for whatever reason, I don't know if they, I can't remember 100%, but they like scour the internet for like weird and strange things. And um, they try to support cold cases and things like that. And I think they were the ones that originally came across the videos and actually submitted something to the local police or FBI. And they're American. And so keep in mind, this was happening in Canada. Right. Um, but obviously, they don't think they knew that at the time. Yeah. So they, they got these videos. But the, the weird thing was, is that Luca never showed his face on camera. No. So it was always uh, just, I guess, his hand was in the picture or his or whatever spread, it was. Yeah, his, his bedspread, the, the walls and the light switches. And, and, and this internet group actually is in the Netflix documentary. Yeah. And, and they go on to say, like, they were studying so much. So they would study, like, the different types of light switches and what area those would come from and the, and the wallpaper that was inside of the rooms and just different things. And they, they would find, like, a cigarette uh, pack on the bed and they'd say, oh, what kind of cigarettes are those? And they'd be, narr- they'd be able to narrow down, okay, that's in Canada. Those are Canadian cigarettes. And um, they were able to find that you know, I guess who this was mm-hmm. based on the videos of this. Now, Luca ends up going on the run. Um, he goes, you know, he starts traveling a little bit and he ends up killing a Chinese exchange student in Montreal. And he would have, I guess, uh, he had he this... videotaped the whole thing. Yeah, and he had this Chinese uh, exchange student over to his apartment and he videotaped the entire killing and I believe it was broadcast online. It was. And, and he beheaded this student. Dismembered. And he dismembered this student. And he stabbed him multiple times, uh, I guess with an ice pick, I believe. Uh, it's been a while since we've watched this documentary. Um, I feel like the documentary, although I feel like I may have blocked it out as well, does show some of the parts of the video. They it do. was taken down yeah. relatively quickly. Yeah, they do show uh, some of the video um, before he does do any of the evil stuff to him. He ends up putting his body in a suitcase. And I think he sent, I believe this the foot or a hand he sent to different parliamentary uh, addresses and one went to a school yeah. uh, in the uh, neighborhood. Uh, so he was sending that out almost as he was taunting the police and he was taunting the public with this as well. And uh, I guess a garbage man had found the suitcase with the torso in it. Um, because it was in just thrown into the garbage, into the alleyway, and uh, it was leaking blood out of the suitcase. So uh, they found that, and they end up finding Luca in Germany, and they end up finding him in an internet cafe. 
and he was actually reading articles on himself and a German team that had gone in. Uh, I, I don't know if it was an army or if it was police, but they were with cadets and they ended up being the ones that went into the cafe and found this guy. But he was taunting him all along. Like he was taunting the police all along and well, he, he kept, was going to like, different countries. Yeah, he kept and, jumping around, you know, and saying like, you know, you'll never catch me and, 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 and well, I'll and be all he, over. There was a reference to catch me if you can. And there was one other movie where he would reference it a lot. Like he would taunt the police. He would taunt on the videos uh, in reference to basically like, I, I will get away with this. Yeah. And uh, it, it was just, it, we remember the case when it happened. Yeah. And then, you know, you kind of try and get that out of your head and just say, you know what, these these people don't deserve to be sensationalized. These people don't deserve well, to have time in the media. And then 2014. The, right. But then the Netflix documentary comes out and you, you go back and you're like, oh my God, I remember this case. Yeah. And you know, here it goes and, and opens all this uh, can of worms again. And then people start talking about it again. And now, you know, everything is back to where it was, you know, six years ago when it first happened. And uh, the documentary was really, really well done. Uh, they had uh, the people in from that internet group that were actually on the uh, Netflix episode talking about the whole case. And, and they did a really good job with it. And then they did a really good job with all of the information that they they shared in that uh, documentary. It was and definitely more around his discovery and capture. Um, not a lot about his kind of history. And I mean, it comes out as a part of the investigation, obviously, as they try to figure out who he is. Um, even just doing a little bit of research about him, you know, apparently he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenic. He had been uh, in and out of group homes and uh, mental hospitals, um, uh, mental health hospitals uh, through his childhood. Um, they don't really go into that kind of stuff in the documentary. It's really around the discovery of the videos online and then eventually his capture. But if you like a good true crime story or... Uh, just kind of understanding behavior of people. Um, it was definitely well done. Yeah, definitely a documentary we want to go and check out. I mean, I don't think we've watched too many documentaries that we're not going to recommend. Uh, there are well, there's a couple a we've few. turned off. But well, we I mean, we're, we're not <laughs> we really reviewing, you know, we're not really <laughs> reviewing those ones. But uh, for the most part, these uh, documentaries that we're talking about, they're, they're, most of them are quality documentaries that you know if you have time we watched all of the episodes <laughs> yeah you know if you have if you have time go sit down go and watch them uh very very disturbing cases that you know you might get turned off with watching them but at the same time they're gonna have you hooked because they're interesting stories just to see and well told yeah what is happening and what happened with the cases and how things unraveled uh, in terms of investigations and how they caught up to all of these people. And it, it, it's just, uh, for us, it's just very interesting. And you know, People would be concerned about us based on our Netflix history. Yeah, it's a lot of serial killer stuff. And, uh, <laughs> True. But, you right. know, it's not it's not our fault because Netflix always, uh, ref always uh, says, hey, if you like this, then you might like this. So, you know, we get caught into this vicious <laughs> cycle of of uh, serial killers and uh, different uh, killers. Car cartels and serial killers yeah. is the content that, of our Netflix That's pretty history. much our whole Netflix history. Yeah. And every once in a while, if I'm home by myself, I may throw a, a, a team rom-com in there. Yeah. 
That's not for me, so I'm not watching those, but yeah. Um, so I said when you're not home. Yeah. So definitely go and check uh, that one out as well. So we're going to move on to, I guess, the next one, which was called Killer Inside the Mind of Aaron Hernandez. And that was actually really interesting, too, because that one caught me off guard when it first happened. Uh, Aaron Hernandez, for those of you that don't know and haven't seen the documentary, he was an NFL player and he had all the potential in the world. He was a really good NFL player. Uh, he was a tight end for the New England Patriots. And, uh, you know, when the news first broke, we, you know, kind of scratched our heads and we were, you know, what, what, like, how did that happen? Because, you know, this guy plays in the NFL and you always think of everybody as trying to be in, you know, the spotlight is a role model. And uh, you don't think that they have personal problems or they go through personal things like that. You're watching them on TV every week. And, you know, it's just it was just a shock when the news came out that this is what happened. So uh, he was found guilty of first degree murder, as well as five weapon charges, which requires a mandatory sentence of life in prison without parole. So he was actually tried for two separate murder charges for the 2012 double homicide of Daniel Diabreu and Safiro Furtado. Uh, but he was acquitted of those charges in 2017. So he was eventually convicted of killing his, I guess, brother-in-law, but not brother-in-law. It was his wife's sister's or his girlfriend's sister's boyfriend i believe so apparently he hung out with some pretty rough crowds growing up um dad was pretty tough on him but at the same time he had a ton of respect for his dad uh him and his brother were really close um there is some hint that he was abused by his dad but that never really faltered from the admiration that he really had of him um, and then I think his dad passed and he had a really, really tough time dealing with his dad's uh, death. There is a lot of um, suggestion that he was fighting with his sexuality. Um, that comes out a little bit in the documentary. They, they play on and off of it. Um, there was some thought that potentially it led to some of his um, reaction to certain situations. So, you know, that, I guess, sense of guilt or uh, lack of understanding his identity. Um, you know, obviously he covered it up. Um, a lot of suggestion um, that came out of it. Him and his sort of best friend growing up apparently talk about it. Um, there's a suggestion that they were intimate with each other as teenagers. And then it was just played off as like experimental. Um, you know, he did have a girlfriend and a child, uh, with her, but pretty much all the way through his life and through the documentary and through, um, even the trial, I believe, um, they talk about one of the reasons, um, he kind of reacted the way that he did was because of his sexuality, never proven uh but it is a definitely something that kind of gets thrown around uh quite a bit with this case yeah and a lot of the documentary actually goes into the, the recorded phone calls from the prison cell to his yeah. girlfriend and himself and talking about a lot of things and and you can see the demeanor change in a lot of the phone calls you can see you know one time he's like super super nice to the girl and uh, everything's fine and then you know the next one is he's just going off on her so 
it, not that he has personality disorder. We don't know that. We he's never been diagnosed with that. But uh, and, and again, we're not professionals at that, and we're not. That's not where, what we're here to do. But it just seemed that he had some kind of disorder where it was just an up and down with the emotions yeah. and hard time dealing with certain things. And I guess he yeah. was really he was known to fly off the handle really easily. Um, apparently, he, uh, they would talk about how he would go into these. Uh, homophobic rants he was extremely paranoid he always thought that there was somebody out to get him at one point i think he rented an apartment in some neighborhood that would not be of like an nfl salaried um, person and it was like his home away from home uh, where no one could find him and like his address wasn't disclosed and only select people were allowed to go there um, he was always convinced that there was somebody out to get him. And so, you know, like most kids growing up that he would get into trouble and, you know, he got into fights and, and different things like that. And then eventually it, it turned into a football career. Um, but apparently that behavior didn't really stop even as an adult. So he would kind of still hang out with the wrong crowds. Apparently the guy that he is convicted of murdering is also sort of from like a bad crowd or a bad scene. Um, they don't really go into why him or what the motive was behind it. I don't remember. It talked just more around sort of his journey and his first uh, charges that he was uh, brought up on the acquittal and then eventually his conviction uh, for this murder. And then at the, um, so apparently they did an autopsy um, after his suicide and he was actually diagnosed with CTE. And I apologize, I'm probably going to pronounce this incorrectly, which is uh, chronic traumatic uh, encephalopathy, um, which is apparently known for people who have had a lot of concussions uh, through their life. And it uh, affects their mental capability in ways such as poor judgment, anger, uh, paranoid, rage, emotional volatility. So makes you wonder if that led to some of his um, behavior and some of his reaction toppled off on with sort of all the things that had happened to him as a kid. Well, we've talked about this many times, uh, not us specifically, but the news has talked about this several times in professional sports of getting hit in the head and the trauma that it does to the head. Uh, there was a professional wrestler. Uh, I'm not going to give his name out because uh, I don't want to give him any credit. But yeah, he ended up uh, killing his wife and his kids. Um, and they did a um, scan on his brain. And they said that the brain was actually like that of a six-year-old um, from taking so many chair shots to the head uh, and using his uh, finishing maneuver, which had to do with his head as well. Uh, so it had a lot to do with uh, the state of mind that he was in in his final days. And, you know, football is a high contact sport. So, I mean, that that probably had something to do with it. Uh, again, we, we can draw the conclusion of that. We're not doctors. We don't know. Uh, we're not professionals at that. But for our American listeners uh, right now, we don't know if stories have been told of his aggressions uh, during um, his career. Uh, but here in Canada, we we never really heard about that on the news or any of our sports channels. They never really went into any of his um, aggressive behaviors uh, during the NFL season or there weren't any reports on that. I'm sure if we were to dig up some articles uh, on the Internet, we'd probably find something. 
However, you know, our sports shows, I watch a lot of sports shows on TV and uh, I've never actually heard anything about him. So that's why I was so shocked when this actually happened that I was like, my God, I just watched him play in a game, you know, two weeks ago. And, and, and this is what happened. So I, I wasn't really sure how to take it at that point because it was just uh, shocking news to me. Uh, it, it was a pretty good documentary. I mean, um, is it one of my favorites? No. But I mean, if you have time to actually go and watch it uh, and you have nothing else to watch, definitely go and check it out. It was interesting to see what happened during this documentary. And uh, I guess they don't really lead to the motive. They kind of speculate at a motive of what happened. And that motive was that uh, the, the guy that he killed, um, Lloyd there, was actually say he said something to Hernandez that actually disproved his trust or got rid of his trust. And he had to end up killing him because they were involved in some other shady business as well, apparently. So yeah, definitely go and check that out. Um, again, I don't want to give away too much in there, but there is some interesting facts in that documentary. Um, so go and check that one out as well. We're going to take one more break to help out another podcast. Every 73 seconds, someone is sexually assaulted in the United States. We are here to tell you, you are not alone. Blackbird, an advocacy podcast, tells the stories of victims and survivors of true crime with a focus on the support these survivors need. We provide information for those who have endured trauma and for those who love someone who has. Tune in every Sunday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear these stories of hope, survival, and empowerment. No one should go through this alone. We believe you. That was Sarah from Blackbird, an advocacy podcast. Make sure you tune in and hit that subscribe button. The last one we want to actually talk about, and this is probably one of the most high-profile cases in American history, I would say, Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy Tapes. We actually found this, we came across this on Netflix, and I don't think we were super interested in it just based on the description uh, we didn't know how to take it. We didn't know if we were just going to be listening to audio tapes and uh, they were just going to be playing those and talking about those or how it went down. And he's so infamous. You're like, what a, What new? Right. <laughs> could he really? Right. But they really explain. But this goes in chronological order uh, of Ted Bundy's life, uh, his arrests, his escape uh, and his death in detail. And uh, it, it was really, really, really well done. There's footage, there's police evidence, there's personal photos. The death row interviews are all present in the series. Ted Bundy was extremely charming. He was able to talk to people. He was arrogant. And he actually admitted to 30 murders between 1974 and 1978. That's a lot of murders to be admitting to i mean even admitting to one is not okay but to, to be admitting to, to 30 different murders that's that's kind of crazy and he was regarded as a handsome and charismatic uh individual he had traits that exploited to win the trust of victims uh he would typically approach his victims in public places he would feign an injury or a disability or impersonating an authority figure before knocking them unconscious and taking them to secluded locations to rape and strangle them uh, he sometimes, as serial killers do, uh, revisited uh, his crime scenes. So the one thing I didn't know um, as I was sort of re-researching this before today was that apparently he had a girlfriend in college that broke his heart. 
and most of his victims actually resembled her which I didn't know. And I know you see that a lot um, where they they have some form of a trigger um, or some repeat behavior or a theme that they kind of have a tendency to go after uh, again and again. And um, I don't know if that ever came out in the documentary, but I just thought it was interesting as I was, I was researching for today. Yeah, he ended up decapitating 12 of his victims, which is, that's just crazy. I, I don't know. I just... For me, I find that just to be one of the worst things uh, in a murder. I mean, no murder is ever good. Uh, don't get me wrong. Um, but decapitating the head from a body is just one of the worst things that I think you can do to the body, to the human body. Um, after torturing, after raping, after killing and, you're, and you know, just taking the head off. I mean, once... once Dehumanizing the, almost. Yeah, you know, once the person is dead uh, and the family members find out, at least they would have closure. I mean, they can't have the uh, actual, like, open casket funeral or whatever it is. It's it's very, very upsetting to see any type of murder, but especially a decapitation is uh, a little bit uh, crazy uh, by any means. And he, he is admitted to 12 of those. He actually was convicted in Colorado, I believe. And he escaped twice from prison. And and the, and the way that they showed us that these uh, escapes from prison went, we were just kind of like baffled. during the you know? trials in the courthouses yeah. is how we got out. So he, he would actually ask the judge. He represented himself in the courthouse. He asked the judge if on during a recess that he could go and do some research in the library. Nobody escorted him to the library he opened the window and he jumped out the window and see he you later. He lived like in the desert or something mm-hmm. like that or in the mountains for yeah. weeks on end and was able to evade, evade capture. Oh, it was... he. Yeah, it, it was crazy. And, and uh, you know, he ended up being Smart caught... and he, creepy. Yeah, he ended up being caught in a uh, lineup where they were searching. Uh, I think they were searching in the... traffic uh, stop. The traffic stop, Florida. yeah. And uh, he ended up being caught because he decided that he was going to try and get out of that county as well. Um, but he, he I, you know, he went and lived in the woods there. He found a, an abandoned home there and ended up living in there in the mountains. And, you know, just I, I, don't, I don't understand why somebody like this would not be escorted to the library and was just, you know, jump out the window, easy peasy, gone, see you later. You know, his second one that he did he escaped through a vent in his jail cell. You know, he, he had propped up books or something to stand on and got through the ventilation system in the jail cell and just walked out of the jail cell. You know, he was dressed up as a maintenance guy, I believe, or uh, one of the um, one of the police officers that worked there. He had one of their uniforms somehow. He lost 30 pounds, I think, to be able to fit through right. the hole. Right, right. So he had a degree in psychology uh, from University of Washington, and then he went to law school in Utah. So, I mean, I guess he was considered handsome for the 70s. He was charming. He was smart. He was well-educated. And so, you know, women really fell for him. He even got married and had a daughter prior to his sentencing, um and or his death and i think it was yeah no sorry in 1982 you know so even after his conviction and i I guess you see that a lot right um the followers that follow people in prison uh but yeah so he just even post-conviction women were still falling for his charm 
Yeah, and uh, one of the biographers that had worked with him, Anne Rule, described him as a sadistic sociopath who took pleasure from another human's pain and then control he had over his victims to the point of death. And even after, uh, they once called him the most cold-hearted, the cold-hearted son of a bitch you'll ever meet. You know, that's that's uh, that's putting it a little bit lightly, I think. Well, and the tapes are probably what is different about this documentary, right? Is it's actual audio recording, I think, his lawyer or one of the lawyers and from the prison system have actually released the these recordings. And I want to say he even taped himself often. Uh, and so it, it's him talking through a lot of this documentary and then obviously people commenting on it um, as it goes through and like just the nonsense and the rambling and the justification and, you know, it, it just gives a very different viewpoint on a typical convicted or dead um, serial killer because you're you're hearing his true audio of some of the stuff that's happened. And then, you know, obviously chronologically they fill in sort of his uh, escapes and his, you know, his murders and then again his eventual conviction. But uh, definitely an interesting one if you... If it's a genre of documentary that you're interested in, or if, you know, if you like to investigate serial killers and things like that, it, it is definitely a, a different viewpoint um, to an infamous killer. Yeah, definitely one that you want to go and check out because everybody knows about Ted Bundy. I don't think there's anyone on this planet that doesn't know about Ted Bundy um, unless you don't have television or Internet. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's just... This documentary, again, really well done. Uh, still a lot of things that you may not have known or you have forgotten about that they do cover in this documentary. Um, and, and it was interesting to listen to. Uh, I'm always interested in the psychology behind uh, what goes through a serial killer's mind. I am not ever going to find out, I guess, everything about that. I am not a psychologist. I am not a doctor. I am not a professional. So I don't really know that stuff. So I do like to listen. So I just I just like to listen to other podcasts, actually, of of people that do have um, their their diplomas or their degrees in in this type of stuff, because it it interests me to know how the psychology works. I always want to know how what people are thinking. Um, It's interesting. It's too bad I didn't go to school for that because uh, it does. It is something that really, really interests me. Uh, I just want to know what people are thinking all the time. And uh, so this one is something that you should definitely go check out. The four that we have discussed today, once again, they're they're all really, really good documentaries to check out. I would say Making a Murderer would probably be one. Yeah, of if the you first haven't ones. watched yeah. it. And then would be the Ted Bundy one. Uh, you know, between the Ted Bundy tapes and the Luca Magnata one, you know, you, you got to watch all of them. If you had to leave one out, I would say the Aaron Hernandez one, if you don't have time to watch that. But, you know, we all have time to watch a, a documentary <laughs> from Yay, time to time. Quarantine. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely go and check uh, all of those ones out. Now, we were going to talk about a fifth one today as well, but I think we're going to leave that one for its own episode. And we're going to have a Netflix documentary review part three. And we will talk about 13. And if you haven't had a chance to go and see that, go and check that one out. That is on Netflix. It is called 13, and it deals with the 13th Amendment, and it just deals with slavery and uh, different movements that have been going on and what happened back in the day. Very and, fitting for today's yes. things that are going on. And and it was just a, a really, really big eye-opener. 
when we talk about it, it'll probably probably be controversial because it will be from our point of view. And uh, not a lot of people will have our point of view because, again, once again, we are a little naive to certain situations that are going on, not because we want to be, but because we just have not been educated enough in terms of seeing this stuff on the media or actually paying attention to it on social media. We yeah. try to stay away from certain things and stay away from negativity uh, just because we don't want the stress in our lives. But we have to open our eyes to certain things that are going on in this world and start to be more proactive at things that are going on in this world to try and stop what is happening because there's a lot of injustices going on and we cannot claim ignorance anymore and we cannot claim being naive as an excuse to why this is happening. And it's just an eye-opener of a documentary short film. It's actually about an hour and a half film or two hour film uh, that was just really 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 well done so yeah. if you want go and check that one out before we do our review on it and uh in the next episode we'll do a review on that that uh, specific one is there anything that you want to say before we close off this episode no i just uh, hope you enjoy the reviews and if you know if there's anything that you guys want to chat about or want us to review if you have a particular genre we have a we have a bit of a theme going which is a little scary uh, on what our netflix topics are but uh we hope you enjoyed them and if you'd like to hear more let us know we're always up for a good binge watch of a show yeah definitely and before we go i do want to make an announcement we just did make our announcement for our convention dates we do have pod vcon the holiday one which is coming up december 4th to december 6th 2020 you can find it on our facebook group pod vcom that's p-o-d-v-c-o-m-m we are doing a whole lot of stuff. We're going to have a lot of podcasts that you will be able to listen to. They will be all live streaming their shows on December 4th to December 6th. And you will be able to tune in live by joining the group. The only way that you can listen to these or watch these is to join our group um, as that's where everything takes place. We have a couple of surprises coming up for this one as well. So hopefully you can all tune into that. We'll give a shout out to Russ from Nick and Russ Don't Know Anything. Um, he is one of the admins of this group and he works really hard on different things in this group. And also Sarah from Blackbird and Advocacy po uh, Podcast. Uh, she is an other admin for this uh, this event as well. Two, two wonderful people, uh, two awesome people, uh, great friends. And, uh, you know, we've made through our podcast community uh, love working with them and love being uh, part of this convention with them. Uh, without them, this convention wouldn't be going on as it is. And of course, without all the podcasts that are involved, this podcast convention wouldn't be where it is today as well. So we thank everybody for tuning into this episode. We hope to see you all at the convention. And as always, stay safe, be kind to each other, and we will see you later. Here we go now! <laughs> Turkey.